Sponsor SixConnect automates network provisioning in a DevOps-friendly way. SixConnect's ProVision platform delivers workflows, resource management, DNS and DHCP controllers, IPAM, and more, all with an API-first mentality. Find out more about SixConnect's ProVision at sixconnect.com with the number six slash packet. That's sixconnect.com with the number six slash packet. Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, uh, just go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship and you can get all the details. And if you've got something really cool working with V6, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you're up to, and we'd love to have you on the show and talk about what's what's going on. I'm Ed Horley with my co-host Tom Coffey and Scott Hogue, and today... We're going to tackle the very big and interesting subject of IPv6 troubleshooting <laughs> and where that fits in into all the operational issues that go on for, for many folks as they're trying to adopt IPv6. And uh, I don't know, guys, I mean, I, th- I think there's a whole different set of thinking that has to go on with troubleshooting for, for v6. And I guess we shouldn't talk about, we should distinguish between v6 only and maybe dual stack. Uh, from mm-hmm. a troubleshooting perspective, and maybe we start with dual stack because that's where most folks are going to go first, uh, at least in their adoption cycle. So what's the thinking about, you know, dealing with troubleshooting related issues in a dual stack environment? What's well, what's the what's the gotcha? Well, I think it's just backing up a little bit. You've got the the first element on your flowchart, right, which is what the heck is the network? Is it dual stack? Is it IPv6 only? Start there. Make sure you <laughs> you <laughs> actually know which is, which situation you're in. That's right. You may not. You know, you you may come in and they might be. You know, you might be a, a hired gun to try to troubleshoot some issues, and they say v6 is on the network. And well, what v6 is a dual stack? Is it IPv6 only? Go from there. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I think, and Scott and I, uh, you know, and, and and Tom, you too, on a regular basis, we often tell people, well, you're running these six, you just don't know it, right? Because of all the link local behavior that's going on. Is that a good starting point for sort of talking about dual stack troubleshooting and like what could potentially happen to you? Yeah, because I think I think most organizations use the end user as the alerting mechanism, the canary in the coal mine, <laughs> and the end user calls and says, oh, my internet is down. And then you know, oh, the internet is down. Um, <laughs> but if you, the end user is unaware of which, blissfully unaware of which IP protocol is being used. And that's how we like it, right? We don't want them to have to know about addresses. They just type in their fully qualified domain name into their browser and they get logged in and access to their applications. That's what they care about. They don't know which IP version is taking place behind the scenes. And so it's it's invisible to them and they may not know, but then they start to realize something is amiss and then they call the help desk for help, you know, and that's the leading indicator or the the indicator that something's wrong is the end user sees something, but you're right when they are operating in a dual stack environment, it's difficult to tell which protocol may be failing. Yeah. I mean, it's, I I think that's really important to understand that is, let's say you're enterprise shop and you're putting, you have a formal sort of maybe help desk or knock plan that actually helps to walk through troubleshooting, you know, network or access related issues. If you don't have stuff around V6 in there, even if you don't run V6 on your network, you're probably at a disadvantage, I would think, because you're often dealing, especially in today's environment, um, you're often dealing with people working from home. 
And they may have a dual stack configuration at their house where you may not have that in your corporate environment, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's an important distinction, especially around some of the interesting use cases. Scott, you've outlined, you've written some fantastic blog articles talking about like VPN breakout, right? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. what the heck is going on? Like, you can't troubleshoot that if you don't know anything about IPv6, right? Like that just falls in the realm of like, yeah, I don't know, undiscovered country or so. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, I don't know what you do with that. Yeah, it it doesn't come through, you know, it doesn't come back through the VPN, it breaks out, it goes direct. Yeah, because you could have, you could have not intentionally deployed IPv6, but you did so kind of unknowingly or accidentally. You know, uh, you're using a SaaS provider, they turned on IPv6 one day. Your end users who may be working at home, at a coffee shop, you know, or traveling, working virtually, or even at another company's location, your employees work at another company, you know, and they have right. a guest wireless network that turned on V6. Now they go to the payroll system or HR database, SaaS-based timekeeping, you know, whatever little SaaS application you use. And oop, now they have a problem. And then they call your help desk and your help desk is like, IPv6, we haven't turned that on. What's going on? Right. Or, yeah, they're just at a just an, a a disadvantage to be able to troubleshoot it. Lack of visibility and lack of knowledge of the protocol too. Yeah, it seems like yeah. one of the the key issues here is just determining the scope of IPv6 adoption, whether or not it was accidental or or intentional. You know, we know there's a lot of occult v6 that's deployed out there just because it's on by default and it's just not being managed. And so sure. really the help desk is the, is the choke point here, right? The, the, uh, the help, whether they're blissfully unaware of IPv6 or whether they've had, you know, some, some basic training on it, it that's, that's really the team that that's going to be the, the front lines for this. No surprise, obviously they're the front lines for pretty much everything. But I guess my question coming out of, out of that would be, well, what, you know, what do they need to know? Like what, uh, you know, if you're, if, if they're the first line of defense, is there a sort of triaging of IPv6 knowledge that they're going to need? Because we've really described a lot of different situations. We've described the situation where, you know, it's on by default and no one's aware of that. We've described the situation where somebody's working from home and they have a dual stack environment. You know, we've described the situation where they might be on the corporate LAN and that's true. Or, you know, if, if it's something like a, you know, depending on the level of the help desk, if it's something like a data center deployment where it's IPv6 only, that doesn't seem very likely. But yeah, so I guess just backing up, like what, you know, what is it that they need to know? What is like the baseline that they need to to be aware of? And, you know, beyond just like, is it dual stack? Is it a cult IPv6? Is it IPv6 only? Well, <laughs> a cult IPv6, yeah. 2001 dead beef. <laughs> <laughs> it's an occult IPv6. Dead, dead beef cafe. Dead beef cafe, yeah. yeah. I'm not. So, I'm not implying anything demonic about IPv6. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> it's the case where it's where it's on and nobody knows that it's on. It's well, it's too late now because it's a dead beef cafe. It's so IPv666. <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, I mean, we had these websites that cropped up around World IPv6 Day and World IPv6 Launch, where the idea was help desks could direct users to those sites and that could validate. Yeah, the uh, testing kind of testing test, sites. Yeah, mm -hmm. testing sites. So like isp.testipv6.com, if you go there, it echoes, it does a bunch of checks and then it echoes back a help desk code. 
And then based on that help desk code, you look in RIPE document number 631, and that tells you based on the help desk code uh, what the script is for the help desk to talk that user through. So that might be an idea is mm -hmm. direct the user to go to a site that then checks V4, V6 internet connectivity. Yeah, that yeah, does a lot of work for the help desk. And, there, yeah. and there's two there's two sets of links actually. So depending on who you who you want to use and what function you want to do, because there's ipv6-test.com, and then there's test-ipv6.com, <laughs> the reverse, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then the, and then there's other reference ones that you can utilize depending on whether you want to test your own connectivity or whether you want to see how other people are connected and peered. Which is there's a difference, right, in terms of what you're trying to see visibility wise. So um, that's that's something that folks can use, and then like the the right document that you mentioned that help desk teams can can leverage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's a great starting point. Uh, although probably even before that, you probably need to get a little bit of just base knowledge around v six. So I, if you're listening to the show, you're probably already doing that. But mm -hmm. <laughs> that goes without saying. But but you you're going to need to to get your help desk team up to speed about understanding some of the basics around v six and what's going on, and the fact that it's a, an additional networking protocol, and then that almost fifty percent of the internet is running across you know, V6 as, as a transport and, and, you know, sort of being able to work through those things. So I think a little bit of training and brown bag lunch and education mm -hmm. is going to be super mm -hmm. important for those folks to make sure they understand what's going on. So the, the default yeah. isn't, isn't uh, that it's just a mystery and they have no idea what's going on, but they actually understand that there's an additional networking protocol. I don't know. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just some there. basics like, oh, when I do a screen share for that user, let me just open up a command prompt and do IP config slash all. Let me let me look for evidence of a link local or and or global. It could be yeah. multiple global could addresses. Multiple. And let and let's fix something. IPv6. NS. The IPv6 sort of lookup stays. You know that we'll have to do some PowerShell command. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, you might, depending on what you're doing and if you're scripting or you're having other tools, you might do that differently. And then, mm -hmm. you know, just the, uh, you know, the IP adder on the Linux command side, right? That's going to be how you're going to sort of yeah. through that. And then how to do like a ping or a ping six and yep. by name or by address or. Or just you know. a standard dig just to be able to look up and say, am mm -hmm. I getting back V6 quad A records or am I only mm -hmm. getting A records or only getting, you know, quad A records like. That that's that's the basics that a help desk team should definitely know on their own just to be able to understand what's going on. I mean, maybe that gets to the, you know, what issues does dual stack actually present a help desk team? Because that's sort of frame that, right? Like, mm -hmm. what are you going to run into if you are on a dual stack system? Like, what's what's happening? What's going on? Well, they should have some confidence that that they should know what happy eyeballs is and they should know what it's there to do. And then, of course, from a troubleshooting perspective, that should give that should provide some confidence to make some decisions, you know, the, the scenario where you, you know, you just don't know how IPv4 versus IPv6 is behaving on a particular host or with a particular application, that's the nightmare scenario because, you know, where do you start and how do you, how do you in a very, you know, um, step-by-step -step way, like isolate what the issue is, but it kind yeah, of, happy sort of like takes that out of the picture a little bit. Mm -hmm. and, and that doesn't mean it's, you know, it's always going to be there and always going to work in a way that's going to prevent all problems. But if you don't have the confidence knowing what it's supposed to do and, mm -hmm. and the fact that it's there and operating, then it makes it kind of difficult, I think, to have a, a good jumping off point for further isolation of, of what the issue might be. So so a really solid understanding of happy eyeballs, I think, is essential for, mm -hmm. for the help desk folks. 
Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it definitely falls in that category. If you, if you don't know about happy eyeballs, you have no clue what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're hundred percent right. That that's, I can't emphasize enough how, how important that is to really understand mm-hmm. what's going on there. And there's, and there's different implementations of happy eyeballs within different operating systems and within different browsers and different mm-hmm. applications. Mm-hmm. And so you end up having to build a little bit of a matrix to sort of figure out exactly what's happening within each one of those environments. I don't know if that's, I, I feel like that's been a pretty similar experience for all of the mm-hmm. shops that we've gone in with is sort of like, oh, well, what's this OS doing versus that OS, right? Yeah, unfortunately, they don't all do things the same. Yeah, right. Yep. And I mean, probably what, 80 to 90% of the time, it doesn't matter because it's going to it's gonna get get the user there, get them the content that they're after. Um, you know, it's just, the, it's just the 5 to 10% or, you know, even less than 5% like hard cases, corner cases where you're just like, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And then that's when you have to start digging into what, what operating system am I on and how have they implemented Mm -hmm. this differently? Yeah. Yeah. I think you break down the problem into bite-sized pieces, you know, and you, you start by, okay, how did the host obtain its address? You know, how did the, how did the client, let's break it up, client, the WAN and Mm -hmm. the server. So how did the client get its address? Does it have an IPv6 address? How did it get it? Slack, RDNSS, DHCP v6. Then how did it, yeah, how did it learn its DNS information? Then do a, you know, a lookup on the domain URL that the user's trying to browse to. Does that have an A or a quad A record on the server side? Okay, now let's test, you know, synthetically with a ping or something across the network transport and see if we have end-to-end IPv6 connectivity. And so you divide up the problem space that way. And if you owned the server, then you might know that you intentionally turned on IPv6. If you don't own the server, if it's a SaaS service, then you may discover that it has v6 at that moment. The internet would have IPv6 configured on it, but maybe your internal enterprise may not at the moment or not everywhere yet. So yeah, break it up into pieces. We pause the podcast to tell you about sponsor Six Connect. Six Connect's ProVision network provisioning platform is a collection of next generation automation tools helping service providers and enterprises update how they do network provisioning. Working with bare metal, containers, on-prem, in the cloud, 6Connect ProVision can help. ProVision is modular and API first, which, which means it's flexible. Ops folks can use ProVision to deliver whatever sort of provisioning platform they need to to make the business they support happy. Okay, I said modular, so let's talk about some of these ProVision modules. There is the resource manager. Track everything from cross-connects to customers in one place or simply tie into existing systems, including external authentication for low-effort automation. And then there's the IP address manager with full IPv4 and v6 support, handling everything from subnets to host, and it can even help you cope with duplicate and overlapping IP address space. The DNS controller supports several DNS platforms, and that gives you a single pane of glass for DNS provisioning, even if you deal with multiple DNS platforms at the same time. The ProVision DHCP controller integrates with several different DHCP platforms and services for hybrid deployments and handles multi-tenancy and detailed controls. And then there's the peering manager. That's a bridge for router configuration and email comms related to peering. 
it is integrated with PeeringDB, and that ensures that exchange information is consistent and that peering coordinators get a one-stop shop for BGP session management and human coordination without touching a command line. And you get the idea here. We're just scratching the surface to give you a taste of the network automation and provisioning platform you can build with Six Connects ProVision. Would you like to know more? Well, of course you would, and you can do that at sixconnect.com slash packet. That is sixconnect with the number six dot com slash packet. Once more, for API first, automated network provisioning that can bring together many different systems in your provisioning stack, sixconnect with the number six dot com slash packet. And now back to the podcast. I, I think the other part of it is that there there are there are issues that go along with with dual stack environments especially with folks that are trying to actually implement v6 where they may be making use of things like tunnel services right mm -hmm. and I, I don't you know it's this becomes maybe the five percent case that that tom was talking about earlier but the reality is you sort of need to understand that hop by hop it may look very different v6 versus v4 Right. Yeah. And from a troubleshooting perspective, that's where uh, a site mm -hmm. like bgp.he.net is, is really your friend in mm -hmm. terms of visibility of, of mm -hmm. IP transit or prefix. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. IP transit or peering connections, you know, where you can actually track how the, the IPv6 traffic is transiting the, the network or if it's in, in fact, if it's not, if there's, you know, some issue there. Mm -hmm. um, because I think, and of course, HE, Hurricane Electric has been very sort of purpose built around IPv6. And so you get that, that great clarity from, from that particular looking glass about what, how IPv6 mm -hmm. is behaving um, mm -hmm. from one of the meshiest IPv6 providers that there is. So that's a great place to start. <laughs> what meshiest? Okay. Define that for everyone. <laughs> what is mesh? It's, it's the opposite of a cult. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, the I call the cult only has one. V6 default route, I guess. <laughs> That's uh, right. Hurricane Electric may have many IPv6 peers. <laughs> yeah. And, and just for context for, for folks who might not know who Hurricane is and, and a little bit of their background and history in regards to sort of the V6 community, they were very early on on V6 adoption, uh, heavy community con contributors and building tools and utilities, and even has a, a, a sort of a self assess IPv6. What is it? IPv6 Sage? Sage. Is that their little, <laughs> yeah, little thing? You can get a t-shirt and everything else. It's sort of cool. But um, they've they've been huge contributors. But as a result, because of what they do as a business and as a result of their V6 sort of uh, first philosophy, they're very interconnected within the V6 backbone, I guess is easy to easy way to say it. So there are a, a tremendous number of, of sort of transit and peering routes appear from Hurricane Electric because of their early their early work around around v6 that's changing over time as v6 becomes more and more popular but certainly reflecting to the original point around um you know the meshiness of of, yeah. of hurricane is that you get so much visibility outside of outside of the cogent issue yeah <laughs> <Which> <laughs> right we we'll have it we'll, de we'll dedicate an entire podcast to uh, ipv6 drama that'll be the first <laughs> anecdote that we talk about when we think of troubleshooting dual stack, there's an and or or problem here. When you have two different protocols like V4 or V6 that are both possible, you know, in a happy eyeballs type situation, you could make a connection to this, you know, from the client to the server over V4 or from the client to the server over IPv6. And if both of those systems, you know, function really in parallel with one another, and you could, your computer could choose one or the other equally well, if both of those systems work, let's say 95% of the time, 
and they're both available and working, then your chances of success actually are like 99.75%. Mm-hmm. Your increase of, of connectivity increases because you have two choices and they're both right. equally, you know, good, you know, relatively 95% of the time available. Now, if you have an application that needs V4 and V6, both in together to function. So this might be like a, a website where some of the content is fetched over V4 transport, some of the objects on the page are fetched over you know, V6 transport, and it needs both to render the whole page properly or the application doesn't work. Now, really V4 and V6 are in serial with each yes. other. Right. And it's a and it's an and you need both to work to have full success. So again, if both of them are 95% available, well, actually the chances of success are only 90.25%. Right. Because if yeah. any that five percent of, of unavailability or a uh, failure percentage in both yeah. can can reduce the total Overall, chance right. of success to be much lower. So just thinking about is it an or an and situation may guide your troubleshooting like strategy? Yeah, and I, I think the other consideration is 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 where that's happening, and do you have translation capabilities or translation mm-hmm. services? Mm-hmm. So does the maybe the server, if it's server side rendering, right? So the server is doing all the rendering, and it has to reach out to an IPv4 resource to render the page to display to you. Does that server have IPv4 access in order to go get that resource? But if it's client side and you're at home with a dual stack network, the server's just providing the code. You're having to go out and reach out to go build the page on the client side, on the client side to actually put that stuff together. And so it's actually more important that the client has access to both v4 and v6 to render the page correctly. And the help desk team needs to know the difference between the two, right? About what's going on. Like, is this a server side problem or is this actually a client side problem? And and uh, sometimes it's not obvious. It's not. It's it's not intuitive about what actually is happening there. And you're having to, you know, pop open the uh, you know display code mm. <laughs> stuff on on your browser to figure out is is this is this a me problem or a you problem <laughs> in terms we, of we, in terms of what's happening. That's right. We still and we still occasionally see MTU issues uh, that that still mm-hmm. can prevent uh, pages from loading properly. As Scott was suggesting, you know, the scenario where you have like some elements that are being loaded over V6 and you know, there is it possible that we run into a link out there that's you know MT the MTU is is jacked up for some reason, and then V six isn't working properly because of the MTU mm-hmm. MTU yeah. sizing problem. But it's only or, to that resource. Just only to that resource. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The other ones work fine because maybe it's t- too many tunnels, right? Yeah. Right. Or right. they have they've got a a firewall that's blocking ICMP V six packet too big messages from being returned back to indicate the MTU to the source. Or something is um, dropping fragmentation headers. There's a middle box or something mm-hmm, right. that's dropping any IPv6 packets because they read some book on IPv6 security and they're like, oh my God, fragmentation, it's terrible. It can cloak all kinds of attacks. Let's just block all extension headers. And then you have some device that's accidentally blocking a fragmentation header. And oops, yeah. you just I don't blocked, know anyone who would have blocked your app. app. <laughs> <laughs> well, there could be apps that were written many years ago that yes. didn't really pay too much attention to you know, an indicator from a router that the V4 traffic was being blocked, or they set the uh, DF bit to one on V4. Now the app is in a V6 enabled world where routers just drop 
packets that are too big and send back the packet too big, forcing the source to do path MTU discovery. And if it's not even you know, paying attention to those things for V4, the app never considered that it needed to change its strategy for V6, and then it ends up failing. Well, it's IPv6 just isn't, hasn't matured from a security standpoint to the point where somebody gets <laughs> tired and gives up and just puts IP any any on the access list. There's, <laughs> there's no IP that never happens. Anymore. I don't know what you're talking about, Tom. That does not happen. <laughs> and then they forget that they put it in there. You know, it's like, let's just yeah. test this to see if, you know, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, so it's just hanging out there for the next five, you know, six years. So oh, yeah. we, we have less of that in IPv6. I, is that a good you thing? Still, I, I don't know. get brokenness because that doesn't allow the ICMP version 6 any. <laughs> any statement to be in there. <laughs> <That's> so. <right. laughs> yeah. uh, even better would be uh, at the bottom, a permit IPv6 any any log, because maybe you like to use the CPU and you're out of it to a high <laughs> utilization, or, or maybe you own stock in Splunk. Yeah. <laughs> and you just like all that law, the event data. <laughs> uh, so better yet is to do that across multiple different vendors, but none of it is normalized the address space as it writes it into Splunk. So trying to even match and correlate doesn't do anything. Yeah. So. Well, and that brings up a good point. I mean, you mentioned Splunk. So if we're talking about having to troubleshoot IPv6 or dual stack, I mean, what's the state of the tools that are available that we, you know, that we're used to using the Splunks and the SolarWinds and et cetera, et cetera. Do we have, do we see like good IPv6 support across the board or good support for monitoring dual stack across the board? Wireshark's kind of my go-to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say, I would say the commercial products can support V, so there's a different categories. Mm -hmm. So they can support V6. Some of them can normalize the data in V6, but most of them do not. So that's a big downfall in my opinion. And then I think the next stage down is, do they actually do give you event correlation information between V4 and V6? And I say, we completely fall off the map there. Like there's no one really doing great work no. in that particular space. Right. And I think the next part that sort of to your original question is, is to do any of the tools have the troubleshooting sort of comprehensive troubleshooting capabilities to determine what's going on. I think in, unless you have a client device or a client agent that's actually sitting on the on the remote access mm. edge device that's actually giving you telemetry data, mm -hmm. it's going to be really difficult to figure out exactly what's going on just by looking at packets on the wire mm -hmm. um, yeah. and trying to determine what's happening. And, and that's just my opinion. I don't know, mm -hmm. Scott and Tom, if you feel differently, but you know, that's 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 at least been my experience is that if you can't get on that end system, you're really going to have a very difficult time really determining what's what's going on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe that maybe that's a pivot. How do we need to think differently then about troubleshooting within our environments? And 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 does this change at all when we go v4 only to dual stack to v6 only? Because you know the end goal is v6 only, right? For all of us to get there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and as many, hopefully, many of our audience already knows, like the U.S. federal government has an OMB you know, White House memo mandate that has a whole set of requirements around the U.S. federal government going V6 only. So I think this topic is going to become more popular uh, over time about talking about V6 only related issues. So how do we need to think differently? Yeah. What's what's the process? How do, we, how do we change what we're doing today to be better to be able to support dual stack and V6 only in the future? Yeah, I think, you know, we all know how to troubleshoot systems just instinctively for years of being in IT. And we start just instinctively by just trying to understand what is normal behavior. What are, what are things look like today? Let me look at my, you know, network diagram. Let me try and understand the topology and your network diagram doesn't show that there's V6 running on the internet, right. but then also during the deployment of IPv6, 
keeping your network documentation up to date is difficult. It's always the last thing that gets done and it's always put off. So your baseline documentation may be old. And even if it's a day old during the process of an IPv6 deployment, that documentation days old, it's it's meaningless. So keeping the understanding the baseline of where you're running v6 or not is important. And then your troubleshooting methodology, well, okay. Then also during deployment, the rate of change is high. When the rate of change is high, the rate of human error is high. And so you're likely to encounter more problems when people are in there in the configs, fat fingering things and typing in commands. Um, but then when you go through your normal troubleshooting process, now you have two things to test. Oh, I got to do an an A record and a quad A record lookup. Now I got to ping over V4 and V6. Now I have to, can I ping my default gateway over V4 and V6? Now I need to, you know, can I make a, a TCP connection over V4 or V6 transport? Can I browse by name or by IP address and by IPv6 address in square brackets, you know, and you, yep. you're, you've got lots of stuff to test twice and that can increase your mean time to repair. If, if you yeah, know that your process is refined. Yeah, I think that's an important point is that is that uh, you need to, you basically are writing a set of rules for, uh, a set of troubleshooting rules for V4 and V6 side by mm -hmm. side. Yeah. They have some dependencies on each other. I guess mm -hmm. it's a strange way to say this. Yeah. It's not necessarily uh -huh. dependencies, but they have, there's a little bit of, of uh, of understanding that if this is failing on one side, it could be working on the other side, which is, which is shoring up your capabilities on, like let's say hmm. uh, V4 is working, but it doesn't have V4 DNS service working, but V6 is working and V6 DNS is working, right? So I can still look up an A record and I can still operate across V4 if I needed to, if it, there was only an A record available, that will hmm. work for me. But if I were doing in non-dual stack and V4 only, my V4 would actually be broken, right? Yeah. That I have working DNS. And there's like these weird combinations that you can get into that you sort of need to understand like, Oh, that's broken in a different sort of way. That's really bad, right? Uh -huh. Or the reverse could be true, right? Like I have a dependency on V4. Mm -hmm. So I think I could go to V6 only, but the reality is if I turned off V4, I would never get there. I would, mm -hmm. I would you know, fundamentally break in terms of capabilities to do something. And I think there's a lot of things that sort of fit in these categories of like, this is why a proof of concept lab and it's so important to like go through and turn off one protocol versus the other. If you really want to go to V6 only, you, you need to test, you know, all the things, right? <laughs> In order to yeah. understand what's happening there. Yeah, you make a good point, Ed. I think it would be difficult if you had a V6 only network and something's failing, how do you know it was still trying to cry out for an IPv4 connection somewhere? Yeah, especially if you're on a V6 only device. <laughs> so when you do a Wireshark capture, you may only get V6 packets in layer two frames. So maybe you don't see that it's trying and it's built inside of the app that it still has some V4 dependency somewhere. That's, that's difficult. On the other, yeah. on the other hand, it, it is maybe simpler to isolate, right? If it's mm -hmm. V6 only, where mm -hmm. you don't have, you can just remove the dual stack assessment from, from that's, the picture and, and find, yeah. you get down to that V4 dependency a lot faster mm -hmm. than, than you mm -hmm. would have otherwise perhaps. Yeah, or actually, you probably wouldn't have run into it at all in a dual stack environment. So right, it's yeah. an apples to oranges mm -hmm. comparison. But, but yeah. I think in general, IPv6 only gives you maybe you know more isolation in that regard, and and perhaps depending on the problem that you're having, faster resolution, faster time to resolution. 
Yeah, you'll yeah. know it. You'll know that you have a V4 dependency problem right away <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> when you turn off V4. Huh? Well, I mean, I think we covered most of like the main core areas around troubleshooting, mm -hmm. right? Like about how to think a little bit differently and where some of those problem spaces could be. And we'll leave it to the audience to, to provide us some, maybe some listener feedback around like, you guys totally missed the mark on this. <laughs> like over here, we've run into this problem like over and over and over again. And it's something that definitely needs to make it in as... That's a troubleshooting issue. So if you have those, we'd love to hear from you guys because it's we always love love hearing like where we completely miss the mark. <laughs> yeah, I love hearing about troubleshooting scenarios. Like what what was the symptom that was identified to you? How did you go about identifying it? And what was your hypothesis? How did you? What was your action plan? How did you determine? What clued you in to it, to it being a V6 problem in the first place? How did you resolve it? Yeah, I love hearing about people writing about how they found or discovered and solved a V6-related problem. Yeah, yeah. Shoot, shoot us a note, uh, y'all, and let us know <laughs> why. Unlike V6, we've run out of space for the podcast. Um, you can reach the IPV6 Buzz podcast on Twitter. Uh, we're at ipv 6 Bugs. And you can hit up each one of us on Twitter too. Uh, Tom is at IPv6Tom. Uh, Scott is at Scott Hogue. And I'm at E. Horley. And thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Pack and Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Uh, just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. And if you like this podcast, we really think you'd like checking out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, and the Network Break Podcast, and all the other great technical content over at packandpushers.net. So long, and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.